the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we're convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Uh, it's the first Sunday of the new year, and we're going to do something a little different here, um, and I'll explain that in what we're doing. We're starting a three-week series. We'll be back here three weeks in a row, because also I teach down at George Fox University as well, and I have family that live up here. But we're going to be doing a series that's called Shalom, Experiencing the Peace of God in the New Year. So for three weeks, we're going to just take a look at, you know, this next year, we don't know what's going to happen in our lives. There'll be good things and bad things. We don't know what's going to happen in our nation and globally. But how do you experience peace no matter what this new year unfolds? How do you have the peace of God that transcends all understanding? You know, the the peace of Christ, as the scriptures say, that transcends all understanding, no matter what happens this next year. So we're going to be spending three weeks on it. I'm going to define the term shalom next Sunday as well and spend time on that. But what we're going to do here is we're going to start out and do something that Vintage Faith Church, that's the church I'm part of in Santa Cruz, California, we have done this now for, I think, five years in a row, uh, and we do what we're going to do here this morning. In fact, right now, they're doing it down there, and I'm up here, and um, I wonder if you could do me an odd little favor, and will you please do a wave to our church, because I'm going to post this and just say like, here's Imago Day saying hello to you. So will you please do a little wave? Thank you. This is going on uh, Facebook to our church. So they, it's your hello to them. So, because it's really interesting, because they sent down uh, some photos even this morning. So it's kind of fun doing the same thing in two places. But what we're going to do is um, look at this new year, and we're going to do kind of a prayerful dedication. I was not raised in a church. Uh, My parents, and I've shared some of this in the past, my parents used to drop us off at this uh, Dutch Reformed church in Paramus, New Jersey, and um, I didn't know much about it. They'd go get donuts, come back. Like every now and then, it was sort of like they're supposed to have religion, so they'd drop us off. Later, they became, both became Christians. And I didn't know much about what was going on, and my primary remembrance of this church was that it had a big plaque that said, George Washington came here a couple of times in like 1725 or something like that, and I believe even the, uh, he was a reverend, they called him a reverend, that he even mentioned it, like almost every sermon, somehow George Washington seemed to be brought in, and so like growing up, I've had this equation, somehow Jesus and George Washington are like related, like somehow with Christianity there's George Washington, like, and that's just sort of my upbringing, I did not know a lot, but this is what I do know, because I, God is like, he knows us before we put faith in him, during the process, you know, after for our whole lives, because God knows us before we're even born. He knows every single person in this room. Before you're even born, he knows who you were. You know, whether you're a Christian in this room or you're not, there's this process that God just takes us through. And something, like, I had no example of this. I had no way, I know read, read anything. I had no Christian friends. You know, my parents weren't saying this. But for some reason, when I was about 12 years old, and I got, I'm still into music very seriously, and I started getting into music, and my parents would go out. This was pre-teenage years when you go out with your friends. And then I'd be watching, like, the Dick uh, Clark, you know, New Year's Eve, and they'd have bands, and the ball would drop. And I grew up right near New York City, too. And 
at when the ball is about to fall, I mean, like, I think I want to go talk to God. Like, it was just something that I don't know why, except maybe God was moving in my life at that point to draw me towards him. And that, for whatever reason, New Year's Eve, felt like a new year was starting. I didn't really have faith. Uh, but it was some sort of, like, I, I only can credit, it must have been God knowing I was going to put faith in him. And I went out in the backyard. I can remember this, like, as a 12-year-old, I was kind of, like, looking up at the the sky in my New Jersey backyard right at midnight going like God you know like I don't know but I think you're real like and happy new year and then I'd go back inside because I didn't know what to expect but then every new year I started finding this compelling something going on in me to like go and pray at midnight and there's nothing you know this is just nothing in scripture there's nothing about this but it was like the start of a new year, and at that time period began just saying a prayer to commit this next year over to God. And I remember being at a party at this guy Brian Boyle's basement, and it was so packed. This was like high school, then you started, you know, uh, doing things you're not supposed to, and, when you, and all that, and it was like this packed, smoke-filled bottle-filled basement, like listening to David Bowie, because we were like, as the season, like all of my friends were like totally into Bowie. And like, but listen, like, you know, rebel, rebel, like, and we're getting this whole thing of this song. And then all of a sudden I'm like, it's almost midnight, right? And I'm like, I got to get out of here. And I'm like, there's no way I was going to make it up the stairs and through. And so I'm like, it's almost midnight. I got to go say some sort of prayer. And I crawled out this tiny little basement window. I like, crawled up on this thing and like got out. And out in the backyard with my bottle and everything, like, Happy New Year, God. Like, I don't know you, but may this year be something. Like, something was in me that was drawing me to God. I had uh, in Times Square. It was when I was in, when, when, even went to Times Square, New York City, because I live near there. And it was before, now they barrier uh, off sections so they can't cram too many people in and they keep it spaced out for safety reasons. But the year that I went there, and the same thing, the balls, and it was so packed. It was like insane packed, where I actually, when New Year's was happening, and I'm trying to pray, like the balls, everyone's going around me, the balls dropping in the middle of Times Square, and I could act, it was so packed, I could lift my feet off the ground, and you would just stay there, squished between people. <laughs> and, and it was, you know, and it was this sense of like, even there, in the midst of that, something was in me that I got, like, again, I keep saying I credit God. I guess his spirit was just somehow saying, like, Dan, you're going to be putting your faith in me, and I'm, I'm working in your life to recognize me. And as the new year started, it just became a natural thing to say, I want this year to really belong to you. It belongs to you, but may I yield this next year of my life to whatever you want. And it was kind of this dedication of the year. I've been married 22 years now to Becky, and every single New Year's Eve we've done this together at midnight. And we still just will go off in a corner, or if we're home now because we have children, we're not usually out at midnight, we'll just pray together through the New Year. You know, nothing in Scripture that says you're supposed to do it, but I've always just kept feeling like we have resolutions and things we hope for, and next week I'm actually going to talk about those kind of things, about New Year's resolutions and and, and hopes and goals and dreams for each year. But to start, and this Sunday here is the first Sunday of the year, to commit this year 
over to God and ask him to give each of us a sweet new year according to his will. And that wording's intentional, I'll explain it. Because the whole sense of calendar years, it's actually something that the people of Israel would celebrate and actually dedicate their year over. Now, it didn't happen in January. If you start looking into the history of even like, why do we have January, January 1? You're like, where did this come from? If you look in the history of where January, why we even do it, the word, the name January, when they started dedicating, writing out months, the name January came from Janus, the god of the doorway. And what it was, was they, they, as they were naming, the Roman calendar was being formed. They take many gods, alleged gods, and, and then name these month t- time periods after them. And Janus, where we get the word Jan from like in January, was the Roman god of gates or doors, beginning and ending. So it was actually a two kind of faced head there that you can see on the screen. And it was like there was one door, you know, was closing from the old year, and the new door was opening. And so they, t- they chose to have the first month of the Roman calendar year be called January. Now, that's, we've still adopted the Roman calendar year, but if you look into different other cultures, they may have different New Year's and New Year's beginning at different times of the year. If you look into the scriptures, we see that the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, is actually calendar-based. God has chosen to choose, I mean, he picked holidays throughout the year for the people of Israel to pause and remember him. And it's really a beautiful thing that a lot of Christians miss because we we practice the Christian calendar year often, but even in the scriptures, there's like a pretty uh, strong case that you can make of really recognizing and remembering some of these, the Jewish holidays and respecting and seeing what was God trying to tell the people of Israel to remember him by. And the early church actually kept practicing these from everything I'm reading. But let's look at like the Jewish calendar. You can go back and you'll see like artwork, you know, depicting that they developed 12 months as well. And these 12 months were based on lunar months, lunar cycles, when there was a new moon. And so the Jewish calendar, the Hebrew calendar, was developed from 12 cycles, 12 months. And what you can see is because they're an agricultural people as, as, and so much of the, their life was built you know, around the seasons and weather and agriculture, you can go to the next slide and you'll see like, you know, this is kind of the, the way it was developed and that is even in the scriptures when you'll see the various holidays that are uh, mentioned and Jesus even celebrated some of them, you'll see that in the New Testament, but you'll have like, you know, depending on the season of the year, and when the harvest was, and you'll see it even on the screen, like, you know, there's holidays like Pentecost, which was part of this. And there was uh, Purim, which was actually developed a little later. We have Passover, where we get our communion from, was part of a meal, a Passover meal. And you'll see these various holidays, you know, the Feast of Weeks, the Day of Atonement. And one of these was called the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah. And Rosh Hashanah is the festival of trumpets that happens, I believe, 10 days before the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and we're only going to focus on Rosh Hashanah, but that word actually means the head or the beginning of a new year. So it's kind of starting off and saying, like, this is the head or the beginning of the year. 
and it was celebrated at a certain month and it became a time of reflection, contemplation, and putting things in order personally and with God as the new year started. Now in the Jewish calendar, this generally falls the end of September, early October. You know, and I'm taking this and then equating it with our Roman calendar year for how we're going to kind of think about this and even do something here this morning. But you'll see this like say in the book of Leviticus where God says, the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of rest and then a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts you'll start seeing hints of how these celebrations and these festivals and these Jewish holidays developed in scripture. And some more traditional things and customs that developed out of this. What I was reading was that rabbis gave such significance to this day, which was the new calendar year, the the first day of the new year of the Jewish calendar, that they eventually didn't even just consider it like a civil type of a calendar. They said it was a spiritual new year. And there was them quoting this. It was the day when the people of Israel took stock of their spiritual condition and made necessary changes to ensure that their upcoming year would be pleasing to God. It was a time period as the new year started where instead of first saying, okay, I would like to lose some weight this year, I would like to save up some more money, I'm going to stop doing this or start doing this, like the resolutions, and I'm going to address this again next week, it said foremost it was stopping and doing an an account, like a self-evaluation of God. I'm going to pause and say, where am I with you right now? How have this past year been? And as I enter a new year, I'm going to set goals and maybe hopes and dreams for certain things, but foremost, as we start this new year, it's saying like, Lord, it's your year. Is there anything that I need to change in my life to yield to how you want this new year to be? And it's actually even praying positively, saying, Lord, may this new year be a sweet year. So let's look a little bit more about this. Here's, how the, here's a, a quick version, and I'm condensing so many things into how this would practice. And this was like two days of everything I'm reading, like it was a two-day celebration that I'm just gonna talk about very quickly. But it would start basically with a ram's horn, this new year, when they would start off the, the brand new year, start off with a ram's horn, or it's called a shofar, being blown to alert the faithful that the time of repentance is near. Because the new year would start with a time of sober reflection and repentance. Now, when you hear this word repent, depending if you've been around church or not, how long, and you, know, if I, and you see this word often, like uh, I just went to, I'm not embarrassed to say it, I went to a Barry Manilow concert about a month ago in San Jose, and uh, it was kind of like our daughters. It was $8.50. It was kind of like, let's go. You want to go to the, you know, and our daughters sing Barry Manilow with my wife, and and, uh, so I'm like, all right, and surprise them. And right outside, and in fact, I got to tell you this, it was one of the best concerts I've ever been to. It was like, Barry Manilow was like, amazing. That's all I'll say. It was like, and I said, 
I, I'm even freaked out that I even am saying that right now, but it's true. You know, but it's a, if you even know who he is, you've got to look him up. He was like the 70s singer that sang, I write the songs in Mandy and all of these very odd songs. But um, beautiful songs. I really like him. him. But he, basically what happens is you walk outside and there's these kind of preacher people, the, the absolute cartoon stereotype. As you know, 15,000 people are going into the show, whatever it was, and they're holding up these big signs with red fiery letters, repent. And they're kind of yelling at people and doing that stuff. And I don't have them up here at the shows up here, but it's like, you know, you see that and then you see this word repent. And it's always like seen, like, you know, you'll see preachers on TV or these cartoons of people with sandwich boards wearing repent and all that. But repent is actually a beautiful word. In the book of Acts, it says, repent, so times of refreshing will come. Repentance, to what it is, it means if we're going in a direction, like we, like our attitudes, our heart, some actions, whatever it might be, if we're moving in this direction that is in contradiction to what God would want us to be doing and his guidance that we know from scripture about life, If we're going this way and then we recognize God would not be pleased with our heart or actions moving in this direction, repentance means, oh no. It means to turn and say, I am feeling like bad and I repent. I am sorry that I have been going in this direction. I turn and I want now to align my life and my thinking and my heart with God's direction. So repentance is a turn, and there is sorrow in it when you recognize that you have been going in the wrong direction that God would want you to with something. And that's why it's refreshing, because when you're in alignment with God in that way, then it is, it's like you're all muddy and there's a clean shower. That's repentance and forgiveness. And so there's that sense of in the new year, it's when you look at your life and you say like, do I need to repent? And it's a serious kind of evaluation. And so what the shofar would do, it would sound and ring out saying the new year is starting and we're going to now repent if needed. And what we want to do is Alan actually is going to come on up here and he has a shofar. And I was very envious uh, hearing him when he played this earlier because what occurred was in our church, the uh, shofar that we're using this morning is probably about this big and, uh, and it has this kind of like little toot sound and uh, this one is the real thing. And, uh, and so actually the one they talk about this too, the way it is bent instead of a straight trumpet, even as they look at it, they say the bending of the shofar is symbolic of like our humility before God and that we bend before him in our posture. So let's now hear what this shofar sounds like. We thank our wonderful shofar. Now, you've heard when I was, when you study about this, what you'll find is during Rosh Hashanah, 
they would have several different types. They, they bl- would blow this 100 times, and they'd have some short, I believe the term is staccato, kind of blasts, and they had different length blasts with different titles. So I'm not going to get into all of them, but what they would have is like the long-sounding blast was one that was a pure, unbroken sound that calls a man or woman to search their heart, abandon their evil ways, I'm quoting something, and then seek forgiveness through repentance. So when that trumpet sounds, it was like an alarm to say, like, am I right with God? This is serious. And you see Jesus even using these words in scripture with an alarm, like Matthew chapter 24, And it's talking about, I'm not going to get into like how the end times and his return may unfold. There's different thoughts of how that may occur in a timetable or sequence. But Jesus even says like at his return, it says at the time, the sun, the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky and all the peoples of the earth will mourn. Like something serious is happening here. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. I just, you know, I can't, one day this is going to happen. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. It's that sense of like, you are now going to see Jesus. This is now happening. It's not just like you're going on the busyness of life. This is you are going to be seeing Jesus him. Your life now will be matched to have you followed him. Have you put your faith in him? It's like this is a time of serious. And so when this trumpet is sounded, when the shofar is sounded, it's like this reminder. First John chapter 2 verse 28 has this passage that's not related to this, but I think of this. This is one of the first ones I underline in my Bible when I started reading the Bible for the first time. And it says, and now, dear children, continue in him, continue in Jesus, so that when he appears, like what Jesus was just first talking about, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. It's that sense of continually be asking yourself, you know, if all of a sudden Jesus was to appear, if all of a sudden you are, you die, you meet your maker, you know, just whatever you want to call this, are you, are you ready to meet him? And it's just that wonderful feeling of saying like, God, how's my life today? It's like uh, there's a very famous missionary, if you read missionary history, a guy named Hudson Taylor in the late 1800s. And he would have a saying, I was reading how he would always be talking to his friends and he'd be asking them, have you repented today? Because repentance is something you don't just do once a year. It should be like a a sense of we catch ourselves and we drift this way, we catch ourselves and we repent and then we turn this way. It's kind of like a lifestyle of repentance that happens. But it's like it's this time of existence. But I think as we start this new year, we want to do some self-reflection and be asking ourselves, are we living a life that we're not ashamed of? or caught off guard if we were to meet Jesus face to face. And this is so subtle. The reason I say it's so subtle is it, you know, this whole thing, we can trick ourselves. Life, we get so caught up in the busyness of life and we get so caught up in relationships and work and even ministry 
And I realized the danger of this when I was a high school pastor in the first church I was on staff with, and I was very studying the Bible, and I was praying, and I was so active in ministry. And this is when I was, I had fallen in love with my wife and her with me, and we're getting in a serious relationship leading up to possible engagement. It was at that depth of the relationship. But then something uh, bad surfaced in me. And if you were to know me and my background of things, like I can be very critical. Like, and, and being critical can be good uh, if you, you know, in helping things move along, but it also can be very negative in tearing people down. And what I started doing with the most beautiful you know, person I had met who loved Jesus and she was uh, soft-hearted and, uh, and everything, but here's the difference. My background was like I was into punk music and rockabilly music, you know, and still am, and she was into, and I say, she was into Amy Grant. And so, um, now, let me explain, because I don't want to uh, get a little odd about this, because what occurred was in the chase of winning her over and falling in love, it was like, I love you, I love you. I love Amy Grant. I love like the whole thing about you. And, um, but then after we got into the deeper part of the relationship and we're kind of like together, what surfaced in me was this really critical ugliness. And I'm very embarrassed to even have to share this with you. But what occurred was I started... Um, criticizing her about music especially and it would be like um, obscure things you know I'd be telling her like Becky do you know who the bass player for the Ramones is and she'd be like no I'm not sure who the Ramones even are but the bass player and I'd be like I can't believe you don't know that do you know when Dee Dee Ramone quit do you know the name of the bass player that replaced him you know, it's like, no, I don't. You know, I'm just like, I can't believe that. You know, and I, over time, and I'm, like, and I'm not exaggerating these kind of things, over time, started picking at her and picking at her and picking at her and started tearing her down and her value of how she felt about herself. And um, I mean, it was just not good. And here's the weird part. I'm up speaking on Sundays, God is love, treat your neighbor as yourself, active in ministry, praying in the morning, reading my Bible every single day, going through all of this, and I was very sincere about it, but what I had not done was soft, checked in, How is there anything I need to repent about? Have I done some self-reflection? Because I started tearing down the very person who was closest to me at that time, who loved me, and I loved her, and it was over a dumb thing, and eventually, and I used to, I had this leather jacket that I wore from my band days, because I was still carrying through, like, kind of my former self and all of that, and it was like this jacket I was always wearing, and then she finally just got sick of it, and she finally, I she was crying, and she was like, that's it, I'm through with you, we're done, no more. We're over. Take that you and that stupid jacket and I don't want to see you again. And I'm kind of like, what? You know, because it finally, she took enough. And she broke up with me. And uh, she actually changed churches. It was like nobody was going to see in here. Very awkward thing was I was meeting with her dad in a mentoring relationship at the time. So that was really weird. You know, so it was like all of this was going on. And, but I could have reacted like, oh yeah, okay, 
fine. Well, I'm just going to keep on going. The ministry's going great. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to find some other girl. And that's it. But what it caused me to do was it just wounded my heart so much. I ended up going into, I fasted for three days. And I was like, oh, God. And I was almost like light was then being opened. And I started seeing what a, uh, my, one of my good friends actually, he said this to me. He's like, you stupid, stupid idiot. You know, I'm just like, you're right. Oh, my gosh. God, how did I miss this? How can I be in ministry and, do, and I'm hurting somebody? And she finally did that. But what it caused me to do was repent in ways that I never would have done otherwise because I had to stop. And it was weeks and months before we saw each other again. And I was so broken, not just about the relationship with her, which I was broken about, but I just realized like, oh my gosh, how easy it is to callous your heart and shift into some patterns that then I even didn't even notice, but I was hurting somebody. And that was hurting God. And I went through repentance, and it was just a really deep time of weeks and months, self-evaluation, deep inward thinking. Why am I so critical about that? That's even dumb stuff about music. And, and just, it was a really dark time period, but at the same time, a very light time period. But it caused me to stop. And what I think happens in life is we don't stop enough. We may stop and do evaluations of our finances, evaluations of our health, or maybe some of our project goals in life or what we're doing. But do we stop and evaluate how's our heart doing with God? Because ultimately that's underneath the symptoms of things. And is there any areas we need to repent of and that's why I like the way the Jewish calendar, and as they practice this, because they take several days to stop and ponder this. And I think if we're doing this on a regular basis, like Hudson Taylor, that missionary, says, like, have you repented today? Like, we won't have any, like, drastic big one. But in this case, it was drastic for me. And what I ended up doing was after a long time, I realized, I'm like, I hate this leather jacket. And I remember I took the jacket. I drove to where she worked because we couldn't see each other. And I remember I'm like, I laid it on her windshield. It was kind of like, I'm repenting. Like, you know, it was no joke. And I was like, oh, God, you know. And it was like I left that on her windshield just to show her because I wasn't allowed to talk to her. And I was so brokenhearted one night, one day, I'm like, I got to go talk to her dad. Like, I'm such, I'm so sinful. Like, and all this. And I went to go meet with her dad, and her, she wasn't supposed to be working, but she happened to be at the house, and she's in the driveway. And I pull up, and I'm like, what's she doing there? I'm not supposed to see her. And then she walks over, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. And I start like, crying in the car, and she's just looking at me. And then her dad walks out, and he sees me, and he goes like, no, no, no. I can remember him. He's like, get away from her now, because he knew how much I hurt her. But it was like serious, and it was sin at the core. And eventually, I, she trusted me again. We got married and began together 22 years. But I'm so thankful I repented, because when you repent deeply, you then, like, if it surfaces up again, I then see it coming. And I'm glad that happened. And at the same time, I'm so glad about Jesus and forgiveness for all of that. And so what we're going to practice here this morning 
is that Jewish tradition, as it developed, and as the new year starts, and there's repentance, but there's also hope. And what the tradition developed was that during Rosh Hashanah, during this New Year's kind of celebration time of repentance and then what the holiday was, part of it is they'd all go after this repentant time period, they go down to a body of water, like a river or a pond, and there's an art piece up here showing like a Jewish community, more recent one, that was going down to like a, a pond, and then they'd take a stone and they would throw the stone in water, symbolically. And it was symbolically basing it out of a passage from the Hebrew Bible, from the Old Testament. That was Micah chapter 7, verse 19. Because when you're talking about repentance, then there's restoration, hope, forgiveness. But the passage there was, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Now, we now understand as the New Testament was written and Jesus was born and the recognition of all of the prophecies of an anointed one or the Hebrew Bible calls it the Messiah or the Greek word is Christ was Jesus. And then we understand now that this forgiveness and the truth of our sin being hurled in the depth of the sea and being gone is through what Jesus did on on the cross and our trust in him and his life, his teachings, and the payment on the cross, and his resurrection, and that is what causes our sin to be forgiven and removed from us. And so we can be so thankful for that. So all of my hurt that I caused Becky at that time and caused people, all of my sin that I deal with in my repentance in you, it's forgiven through Jesus. But we need to recognize it's serious too. But there's hope. So what the tradition developed was that it was then became customary after the stone would be thrown into the water as a symbol of remembering our sins are hurled into the depths of the sea. We now know through Jesus. But then the tradition was they take an apple and the apple was represented life. They do this as part of a meal. And the apple represented life. And there's various passages that they wonder about that this tradition develop out of that. You know, whether it was, you know, there's a verse talking about the apple of your eye and something that was very beloved in, in the Old Testament. You know, or something that was, uh, in that sense, representing life. And then the honey was representing sweetness. And there's some tie-in to like, you know, the land of milk and honey that Israel was promised. It would be sweet in that way. So the tradition developed was they would take the apple and then dip it into the honey, representing life and then sweetness, and then eat that. And as they would eat it, there was a prayer that they would recite that I'm going to put up on the screen. And the prayer would be, be it thy will that a good and sweet year be renewed for us. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God of the universe, creator of the fruit of the tree. So it's that sense of repentance, evaluation, ah, but my sin is thrown into the depths of the sea. Jesus, thank you. May this next year be one of life and sweetness. God, may that be your will. And so we're going to do that this morning. 
what we're going to do is the Alan's going to come on up and blow the shofar. And it'll be a lengthy blow this time in that sense, a lengthy sound. And then we're going to have two minutes of quiet. And during this two minutes, you know, there's not, you don't have probably many things, but if you could think and be asking God, is there one area in your life that perhaps the busyness of life or being involved in this, you're just missing, like I did in the busyness of ministry. And is there anything that you just have to recognize and say, oh, God, may this change help me in this area? May I repent of this? And there's so many things it could be. Maybe there's a person that in the two minutes of silence, it's like, no, like, I have hurt this person. I need to repent and try to do something about it. Maybe it's a pattern in your life that you have to really ask God for help and repent in. I don't know. We're going to hear this sound of the horn. Then two minutes of quiet and ask, is there anything, God? Then you're going to come up forward like we would with communion. And what we're going to do is there's several. There's what we have is two stations each. And they start on the left, then you move to the one on the right. And there's another one here. You start on the left, move to the right. And what we have is a bowl of stones. And there's a little note here. And it says, take a pebble from here. Ask, you know, remind, like, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And the verse here from Micah, you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And so in the tradition, it's like, thank you, Lord, for as I repent, my sins are clean and forgiven through Jesus. It's like as far as the ocean is deep, they're gone. And then you come over to the apple and the honey, and the prayer is written out here. And so what you can then do is you can read that and you take an apple. And what we have is a napkin. So you can reach down and grab a slice in the napkin and then dip it into the honey because it's life and sweetness. And then if you take this and you eat this, and it's that prayer of Lord 2013. May it be, as the prayer is, a sweet year according to your will. So that's what we're going to do here. Um, in, in the next uh, time period. So we're going to start with the shofar being, shofar being blown and then two minutes of quiet. And let that just ring into your hearts like, the Lord, think of him. Awaken. Is there anything there? Quiet. And when the music starts, you can come up forward and go to the stones and then the apple and the honey. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you are interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amagodaycommunity.com.